And so this whole series is called I'm In, and, and uh, different weeks are going to be different things, but this morning is I'm Invited. And um, have you ever been in a situation where you felt uninvited? Has anybody ever felt uninvited to something? Come on, you need to talk to me this morning. This is not, this is not spectator sport. This is interaction stuff. Has anybody ever felt like you weren't invited? You know, you're scrolling through Instagram and you see a photo of all your good friends and they're out having a good time and you're at home and you're like, what happened? Where was my invite? You know, it's like I'm scrolling through Instagram yesterday and I see Harper's having her first birthday and there's a cake and I'm like, where's my invite? I like cake. Does anybody else like cake? Did you get invited? No, we didn't get invited. And so you can feel like sometimes, you know, you just feel like you're just not welcome. You're not wanted. In all seriousness, have you ever felt unwanted? Have you ever felt uninvited? Because if you have, I want you to hear this morning probably one of the greatest truths of the gospel that we don't actually talk about enough. And that is this, is that Jesus invites people others reject. Jesus invites people that others reject, and we're going to look at a story shortly in Luke 7, but I want you to understand something, that, that Jesus at this time as he's walking the earth, um, he is talking about himself being the Son of God, and so he's walking around, and, and there's one of two things that people are doing. Either they believe that he is the Son of God, or they think that he's crazy. It's one of those two things. They even think that he is the Son of God, or they think that he's crazy. But here's the thing. If he is God in the flesh, then the Pharisees, which are the religious people of the day, would surely be the ones that he favors the most. That would make logical sense. Pharisees, if you don't know, they're they're really devout um, people, but they're devout religiously. So they're outwardly religious, and, and they wore these flowing robes and They prayed long, eloquent prayers, and they had elaborate cleansing ceremonies. I think there were 617 different kind of cleansing ceremonies they did. I I don't know about you, but I wouldn't be able to remember more than about three, so I'd be in trouble. And they were impressive spiritually, and they had this whole thing that they wouldn't be around anyone impure or anyone unclean. They would always distance themselves from sinners because they were holy, and they they were you know, devout followers of, of the Lord. And so you would think that out of all the people on the face of the planet, that surely Jesus, if he was God, would be for the Pharisees. And then there's this guy, Simon, who was a Pharisee that invites Jesus over to his house for a party, not a party as an oots, oots, oots type party, not that kind of party, they didn't have those parties back then. It was, it was a, like a dinner party. And what they would do when they would have these dinner parties, they would gather the who's who of the religious world, you know, the movers and the shakers of the Pharisees, and they would put on a display, and they would talk about such weighty things like important and impressive stuff like politics and religion and culture and all those sorts of things. And it was really basically kind of a public discussion where they would show off their wealth of knowledge. And what they would do is they would... They would eat in what is called the outer room of a house back then. And, and, and the outer room of a house always had a porch around the outside of the outer room. And, and what these Pharisees and that would do is they'd get together and, and what they would do is they would 
open the door and, and the windows so that the common people, you know, the lesser people in the world, would be able to come and sit on the porch and hear through the window and the door these guys' incredible knowledge about politics and culture and religion and just how amazing they were. And, and you kind of think to yourself, why, why would people sit on the porch and listen to that? Well, because this was before there was Fortnite or Netflix. So they weren't at home binging on the Housewives of Jerusalem. <laughs> this is called first century entertainment, right? And here's the thing, Jesus got invited to this party. Jesus gets invited to this thing to sit around with these guys and have these eloquent discussions. And then all of a sudden, this woman, this person who was not invited, storms into the place. And she walks right in to the party, past all the Pharisees, who are absolutely shocked that this person has come into their room, and, and, and she goes straight to Jesus, and the Pharisees, the religious people, they, they hated every moment of this. They, they hated it. She's not invited. She shouldn't be here. It says this in Luke 7, 37. It says, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life, that's, that's biblical terminology called PC. Basically, she was the town prostitute. All right? That's biblical for PC, town prostitute. Lived a sinful life. She was the town prostitute learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And so here's the Pharisee sitting in the outer room, ready to have this amazing, eloquent discussion about how amazing they are, and everybody who was beneath them could be outside listening so that they could impress all of those people. And all of a sudden, this call girl walks into the room, into the party, and every Pharisee is like... <gasps> And they are beside themselves. I mean, these guys are absolutely angry. I mean, forget the fact that she's a call girl. She's a woman who's walked into our room. And in their custom, if a woman walked into a room, Pharisees would turn their back on them. They would not even look at them because they were a woman. So you can understand that not only is she a woman, but she's the call girl. She's the prostitute of the town. She comes busting into their party, and, and they are absolutely fuming. They're like, this is not right. She wasn't invited. She's unclean. She's impure. She's a sinner. She's one of those people, you know, the ones that are on the porch outside. We don't hang out with those people. She's unworthy. She's not invited. Now, I want you for a minute to try and get your head into the same headspace of this young hurting woman, and imagine what it would have been like for her to push past all the people on the porch outside that are like, it's that, it's that woman, stay away from her. And she pass, pushes past all that on her way to it. She's probably got guys trying to proposition her on her way to the party. She pushes past all the people that are like shying away from her and then into the room where the Pharisees are who absolutely hated her. Can you imagine what's going on in this girl's world as she does this? You know, obviously she's made some 
wrong decisions in her life, that she is where she is. And I don't think that she ever sat around with her friends at five years of age talking about what they wanted to be when they grow up. And her friend Sally says, I want to be a doctor. And her friend, I know Rebecca says, oh, I'd like to be a teacher. And she goes, oh, I'd like to be a prostitute. It's, it's not really a thing that you hear coming out of a five-year-old. It's, it's, not, it's not what she planned, I don't think. It's not what she dreamt growing up that she would be. So if it's not what she wanted to be, then, then, then how did she end up here? Well, maybe. Maybe she had a distant and uninvolved dad. And because of that, he wasn't there to protect her from all the wrong influences in her world. Maybe she got involved with the wrong crowd that led her in a bad direction. Or, or maybe worse than that, maybe she was a victim of abuse that some twisted-minded person took advantage of her and sexually abused her, and then she just got confused and felt this deep sense of shame and guilt, even though it wasn't her fault. And you know what? Because of all of this, because of all that she had gone through, she never really became secure in her own identity of who she was. And she ended up looking for love in all the wrong places. Or maybe, maybe when she was a teenager with a younger brother and sister, her parents both died and there was no unemployment benefit or anything like that back then. In fact, women were even frowned upon working. And so maybe just the fact that they were starving and her brother and sister uh, uh, on death's bed from malnutrition, she thought, well, this is one way I can earn money. And she did it not because she wanted to, but to try and feed and clothe and look after her brother and sister. And she found a way to make money that she hated and despised every single day. But once she started, she just couldn't stop. And maybe she felt trapped. I don't actually know for sure, and the Bible doesn't say how she ended up in a lifestyle that I would suggest she never wanted to be in. What I do know is this, is that everywhere she went every day, men used her and abused her, and women would have glared on her hatefully, scorning her every step of the way. What I do know is this, is that she would have felt unloved that she would have felt very ashamed, that she would have never, ever felt invited anywhere and felt safe. What I do know is that she might feel a lot like a lot of us feel, that we're not good enough, that we're unworthy, that we're not invited, wondering how we ended up where we are today? How did I end up where I am? How did this life I'm now living, how did I get here? She would have felt uninvited. And so because she felt uninvited, what did she do? <laughs> this is crazy for me. She felt uninvited. She knew she was uninvited. This woman walks into the Pharisees' party, goes straight over to Jesus and falls to her knees in a posture of worship. And she breaks open a jar of perfume and pours it 
on Jesus' feet. What, what, why, is, why is the perfume so significant? Because the perfume was the most valuable possession she had. In fact, they say that it was probably worth a year's salary. The perfume was also incredibly rare back in those days because almost nobody could afford perfume. The value of it was also in the fact that it was basically her nest egg. It was her savings. It was probably the thing that she was going to sell later on when she could no longer do what she was doing so that she could survive and live. There was her nest egg. Not only was it uh, valuable to her financially, but it, in many ways it was a symbol of her future because perfume was a, a kind of like a business card. It was kind of like an advertisement because women that were in the industry that she was in, they would wear perfume as a way of letting men know and letting men know that they were available for hire. So what does she do with that? What does she do with this thing that represents her future? Do with this thing that represents who she is and her ability to earn income? What does she do with that? In one glorious single act, she extravagantly worships Jesus and was repenting of her old lifestyle in the same act. She's saying here, I will give away the most valuable position I have. And that represents my future. It's the best I have. And in that moment, I'm offering it all to Jesus. She worshipped him in that moment, crying in repentance. It says in Luke 7.38 that as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to weep. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she would wipe them with her hair, kiss them, and pour perfume all over them. She's highly emotional. She can't stop crying. And, and, and because of her tears are so out of control, it's landing on Jesus' feet and making them wet with tears. And so what does she do? She whips out her hair and she wipes his feet with her hair. And what you and I don't understand when we read that is that the significance of that is this, is that in Jesus' day, women never, ever wore their hair out. It was always tied up. To wear your hair out was a no-no. You never did that. You might have done that in the, in, the, in the safety of your own bedroom, but you never did that in a public space, ever. She's overcome with emotion. She doesn't have a towel, so she thinks, I know, I'll use my hair. As she cried over his feet, she lets her hair down and she wipes his feet because she can't contain this love and this adoration and this worship that she has towards Jesus. And in Luke 7, 39, the story continues and it says this, that when the Pharisee who had invited him, that is Jesus, saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is and that she is a sinner. Because remember, at this time, as I said at the start, people are trying to work out whether Jesus really is the Son of God or whether he's just the crazy man. 
I, I, I love that in this he says here that he said to himself. Notice he didn't have the guts to say it out loud. He just thought in his head. He said to himself, if he was really a prophet, he would know who was touching him and he wouldn't let her touch him. In other words, he's saying to himself, Jesus is letting this in Jesus letting this prostitute touch him, he's obviously not the son of God because the son of God wouldn't let that happen. Jesus knowing what he is thinking to himself because he doesn't have the, religious people always mutter to themselves. They never have the guts to come out and say things to your face. And it goes on and Jesus realizes what is happening here. And in verse 44, he says, then he, Jesus, turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? Do you realize how big a deal that is? Because he's got his back turned to her the whole time because she's a woman, but she's also a prostitute. And Jesus is saying, hey, turn around and look at her. He's messing up their world right now. Like he is, no wonder they hated him and wanted to crucify him. He is messing up their world right now. It says, I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet. You have to understand that back in those days when you visited somebody's house because of all the dust, the first thing that they would do is give you a bowl of water to wash your feet. He's saying, you didn't even give me a bowl of water for my feet, but she wept. She wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet because in their tradition was you greeted people with a kiss. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown but whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. And then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. In other words, he's saying, you are whole, you are new, you are as white as snow. Why, why did this woman risk so much to be at the feet of Jesus? Why would she have gone into a house of a Pharisee who wouldn't have even walked on the same side of the road as she was on. He would cross the road to not walk on the same footpath as her. Why would she have ignored every other person in the room and gone straight to the feet of Jesus? What I believe is that somehow, somewhere, she has experienced his unconditional love and his indescribable grace of God. She, she must have seen a miracle or heard him preach or sensed his divine nature. Something has drawn her to him because Jesus was in her town. And, and, and Jesus being in her town probably means this, that she would have heard him preach because every town that Jesus went into, he, he would preach in that town. And so I would suggest that probably on that day she heard him preach and whatever he said caused such a great urgency to come into her world that contrary to her nature, she bursts into the party because she knew that Jesus was there. What message did she hear that would cause her 
to one, give up this perfume that's so valuable, two, let down her hair and wipe his feet with it, three, burst into the room with a bunch of people that have rejected her. What, what did she hear Jesus preach that so gripped her that she pushed past all of her fears and all of her shame and all of her guilt and all of that stuff to burst into the room and go to his feet? Well, here's the crazy thing. Luke doesn't actually tell us really what Jesus preached that day in the town that she was in. But here's the good thing. We have three other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and John. And in Matthew chapter 11 is the same story as what's in Luke 7. And so we're going to look at Matthew 11 because you need to hear what she heard that day that would cause her to do this extravagant thing. The message that Jesus gave on that day was this, simply, you are invited to God's family. You are welcome to God's family. You can come in just as you are. The message the woman would have heard in the crowd that day, as she probably hid down the back, was this. Matthew eleven twenty eight says this, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Can you feel the love that she must have felt as she heard that? Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, because I am gentle, and I will take care of you, and I will nurture you, and I will love you. Come to me, those who are wrecked and overcome with guilt. Come to me, those who are burdened by shame. Come to me, those who are tired of trying, but never ever measuring up. Come to me, those who have been rejected by people. Come to me, those who religion has turned away. Come to me, those who weren't invited or welcome. Come to me when you feel you've got nothing. Come to me when you feel like you've lost all hope. Come to me when everything in you feels desperate and you don't know if you can go on, Jesus says, come to me when you're weary, when you're overwhelmed, and I will give you rest. Jesus says, you're welcome into God's family. He loves you, and you're invited to come in no matter what has happened in your world, no matter how you feel about yourself, no matter what you've done, the heart of Jesus is you are invited and you are welcomed and the heart of revive needs to be exactly the same. But I want you to notice a few things about the story that maybe you've not seen before. The first thing I want you to notice is that Pointing out the woman's sins did not lead her over a lifestyle of sin. All the shame and the condemnation and the pointing fingers and the gossiping mouths didn't lead her out. All the judgment didn't lead her out 
of her lifestyle. Judging her lifestyle didn't change her lifestyle. Shaming her for what she did didn't set her free from her painful past. That is why the Bible says this, it's appointed to man to die once and then the judgment. What was it that changed her? What changed her was an invitation to come to me. All who are weary, all who are burdened. An invitation to know the Son of God, to experience His grace, His goodness, His love, and His freedom. Jesus didn't come for the healthy. He says to the Pharisee, I came for the sick. I didn't come for you religious idiots, is really what he's saying. I came for those who actually need me. You see, Jesus never ever judged sinners. He only ever judged the religious people. The ones that thought they were better than everybody else. Jesus did not come for the self-proclaimed righteous people. Jesus came for the hurting and for the broken. And he said, you're invited. Come as you are. Come now, come and know my grace. It doesn't matter who you are. If you've ever felt unwanted, if you've ever felt like you've failed, if if you've ever doubted God, or maybe you feel like you've been hurt by God, you're still invited. If you've ever let God down, if you're tired and you failed and you tried and you failed and then you failed again, you're still invited. Because he's saying, come to me if you feel ashamed. Come to me if you feel unworthy. Come to me of your doubts. Come to me of your addictions. Come to me of your hang-ups. Come to me of your baggage. Come to me of your past. Come to me of those things that other people don't like. Just come to me. Come to me and I will give you rest. Just come as you are to Jesus. Because you know what? We're all equal at the foot of the cross. Nobody is better than anybody else when it comes to the foot of the cross. And in Luke 14, Jesus is telling a story about having a party and inviting people to come. And he sends people out to invite the the right people, you know, the the right people to come to the party. You know, the, the, the ones in society that everybody expects should be at the party. And, 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 and as, as people go out and start asking if they would come to the party, they've just got all these excuses as to why they can't come. Every single one of them. One of them says, I just got married. Another one says, I just brought a house. Another one says, I just brought a farm. Uh, we just can't go. Come to me is what he said, and they all said, we can't. We don't have time. We're just not that interested. And so you know what Jesus did? Can I get the musicians, singers to come? You know what Jesus did? What he says in the story is he went out and invited all the people that should be there, you know, the ones that should be at the party, and all of them had excuses as to why they couldn't be there, or they just weren't interested and didn't want to be there. So Jesus' response As his servants come back and tell him, hey, we can't come. We're not coming. We're not interested. Jesus said this. He said, if you're not interested, if those ones that think they should be invited to the party, if they're not interested, then go out. Go out from here to his servants and compel the blind, compel the lame, compel the cripple to come. If all those that everyone expects to be in my party don't care about the party, you invite the blind, 
You invite the lame. You invite the cripple. Why does this matter that he invited blind, lame, crippled, deaf people to his party? Because in Jesus' day, if you were blind or if you were deaf or if you were lame or if you were crippled, everybody believed that you must have done something wrong to deserve it. That's what they believed back then. There's a, there's a blind guy in, 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 in one of the Gospels and, and his disciples say to Jesus, who sinned, him or his parents? That's, that was their thought process. That if you had some sort of ailment, it's because you did something wrong and you deserved it. And Jesus' response to them was, neither. This is for the glory of God so you can see the Son of God manifested in front of you and He heals the man right there and then. He's saying, go and get all these people that everybody else has rejected, that everybody thinks that don't deserve. Jesus is saying, those that everyone else has rejected are still invited to my family. Why? Because Jesus invites the people others reject. Jesus says, you're welcome, you're invited, come on in. You're invited. You compel those that everybody else despises. You compel those that everybody else overlooks. You compel those that everybody else rejects. You compel them to come in. Can, can, you, can you feel the love? Can you feel the grace? Can you feel the mercy of a God that is not here to judge people, but to heal people, to love them, to embrace them, to not wait for them to get tidied up before they come through the doors? God has never asked anybody to do anything to sort themselves out. He's just said, will you let me take your burdens? Will you let me take your weariness? Will you let me take your sin? Let me take your sin upon me. I'll carry the pain of that. I'll carry the, the hurt of that. I'll carry the mess of that for you. Not once has he ever said to anybody, before you come into my kingdom, you go and get yourself cleaned up and sorted out. That's what the Pharisees did. That's what the religious people did. And they rejected everyone because of it. But Jesus is like, yo, Yo, you don't understand. Look at her. I reject you and your religious attitude, but I embrace her and her brokenness. Because she heard a message that says, I love you and you're invited and I don't care what you've done. This is what I'm here for. I'm here for them. And the crazy thing about Jesus is that there's still room for you and there's still room for I. And he will keep on inviting us to be part of who he is and to be part of his family because he doesn't reject people. He only compels them to come in. It doesn't matter who you are and it doesn't matter how unworthy you feel. You are invited to the family of God, you are invited, you are invited.